This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll. Maybe seated. And uh, if you're if you care about titles, uh, the title for this sermon is God's Love Language. So you can scratch out what's written there and put in God's Love Language. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a friend, and I, I eagerly looked forward every time he and I would get together. But it would oftentimes happen that he'd have to cancel, or for s- some reason or another, he just, he just wouldn't be able to make it, to the point where I would often question our friendship. Did, did he really want to be as close of a friend with me as, as I with him? But just at the moment where I was ready to maybe step back and give up on the friendship, then all of a sudden a gift would show up at my doorstep, or, or he would hand me something that he'd made for me, just out of the blue for no reason. A couple years later, I found out about this thing called love languages, and I realized, oh, my love language is quality time, which is why I I wanted to be with my friend. His love language was clearly gift-giving. So in this knowledge, I adjusted my expectations and said, well, maybe I should be intentional about giving him a gift now and then, and our friendship has been beautiful ever since. What if God has a love language? What if God wanted you to know what His love language is? Would you want to know it? I'm assuming that because you're here this morning that to some degree that that answer is yes. Even if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we, we have visitors, we have people who are not yet following the Lord Jesus, who are maybe seeking after God or just curious to know what Christianity is about. But if you're here and that's the case, it's, it's likely that you're wondering, what is God like? And if I were to follow Jesus, what would He require of me? So together, we're all very interested to know, what is God's love language? I'm going to direct you to John chapter 14, our gospel reading for today. And I'm actually going to start reading in verse 15, and this will be like a pop quiz. I want you to listen and see if you can identify what is God's love language. All right, here we go. Ready? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then Judas, uh, not the bad one, the the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I'll stop reading there. Did you catch it? What is God's love language? It's obedience. To obey Jesus is to love Jesus. And if you want to know how to love Jesus, obey Him. So obedience 
is God's love language, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. To know how to give and show love for God is to obey His commands. But what we'll find along the way as we pay attention, that while we're giving love to God by obeying His commands, there's something in it for us. That when we obey, it is always worth it in the end. When we seek to obey out of love for God, yet it is also for our own good. And and this is the mercy of the Lord. This is the goodness of the Lord. These things are not contradictory to love the Lord and to also receive blessing upon blessing. In fact, in this passage and earlier in chapter 14, we have some of the most precious promises that Jesus gives to His people. In verse 3, He says, I am going away, but the reason I'm going away is to prepare a place for you. In my Father's estate, there are many mansions. I'm going to make a mansion just for you. I'm preparing a place just for you, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to come get you and bring you to be with me, because where I am, you will be also forever. What a precious promise. And there are many precious promises like that throughout this passage. But it may be that as you hear the language of obedience, For you, it's startling, it's off-putting. You're not ready to go there just yet. Perhaps because in your home, obedience was demanded, it was required of you, but in a way that was overly strict. It was harsh, and there was no affection that was tied to authority in your home. And so for you, authority and affection, they they don't go together. You had little sense of of well-being or being cared for. And so because of this, you have no framework that allows for love and obedience to go together in the same sentence, let alone to be found together in the same person, even if that person is God. And so because of this, your whole life long, your understanding of God, your vision of God has been colored by an inability to understand how obedience and love are not contradictory. Well, hopefully today the Lord will help heal that mistaken understanding that that blindness. For others of you, you might be coming from a different perspective. For you, obedience was was not required. It was not emphasized growing up. You were not corrected much, nor were you disciplined. For you, it was all safety and all affection, and there were never any consequences for bad behavior. In fact, we don't even use the language of bad behavior. It's unacceptable behavior. Bad behavior. Bad, that's anathema. We don't say that word. And so for you too, though for a very different reason, you have no framework for love and obedience to fit together. Obedience, obey, it's not a little bit archaic or medieval. But the truth is that obedience in the Christian reveals a deep trust in God. It reveals this open heart that is soft, towards Him, a heart that is surrendered to Him, humble, and yes, above all things, trusting in Him. And these things are pleasing to Him. As He says towards the beginning of the Bible, in the book of 1 Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice, more than than sacrificing sheep and bulls and goats. Obey my words, obey my commands, the Lord says. This is what pleases me more than anything. So for God, when you are trusting When you're seeking to be obedient, he's excited. He says, oh, I can do so much more when these hearts are open and willing, when your heart is ready to go with me. Um, Even though my main vocation is as a pastor, 
for the last decade of my life, I've always had a few trumpet students on the side. And every once in a while, a trumpet student will come to me who's already well-trained musically. Maybe they play the piano. They're, they're a good musician. They're a quick learner. I tell them to do something, they fix it. And they practice. So as a teacher, I'm thrilled. And I say to myself, oh, this is going to be fun. I can take this student so much further because of their readiness. And so I just wonder, with the power of God combined with an open and ready heart on your behalf and collectively as a church on our behalf, what will God do amongst us when we're ready and willing and saying, to obey is to love. Show me what to do. I will say yes, whatever it is. And God is saying, how fun. (laughs) How far I'm going to take Church of the Resurrection because of your open and willing hearts, your readiness to obey. So back to the text, back to John. So the context of chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's sometimes called the upper room discourse. It is the last night before Jesus goes to the cross. It is some of the most intimate and intense teachings that are recorded from Jesus to his disciples because he's preparing them for all that is to come, for this dramatic change that they barely even know is coming, for all that they've been through, all their adventures, all the changes in their life up to this point because they follow Jesus, nothing compares to what is about to happen on the next day and in the next few days and the next few weeks and months and indeed for the rest of their lives, the next few decades. Nothing compares to the dramatic change that they're about to experience. And Jesus, in this last chance that he has with them, is preparing them. But in the context of of the broader conversation, they've heard him say, one of you, one of the twelve, will betray me to my death. Peter, you're going to deny me. I'm going to die. And he keeps talking about this departure. So the disciples, they're confused, they're scared, they're troubled, they're anxious about what is going to happen to them. They don't know what tomorrow will bring, but based on what Jesus has told them, it likely could be very hard and involve some amount of confusion and even suffering. Does that sound familiar? Is there anyone in here this morning who is scared or troubled or anxious about what is going to happen to you? You don't know what tomorrow will bring, but based on what Jesus has told you, it likely will be very hard. It will involve some amount of confusion and even suffering. When Jesus says, and he says it twice, once we heard it and then once earlier in the chapter, do not be anxious, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. He's not saying that you should never be anxious. He's saying, well, of course you should be anxious. Don't remain in that place of anxiety. I'm giving you my peace, supernatural peace. But we're with the disciples. We're in good company. Let's go to verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the refrain that we hear several more times in our text for this morning and then throughout the rest of the upper room discourse. We'll hear him say this or some variation of it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we have to be careful not to bring our baggage to this verse, not to bring our perfectionism, our overbearing perfection to this verse, because I think you hear this or you read this, and some of you, you hear condemnation right away. You hear Jesus saying, 
if you really loved me, you would be perfect. You'd always obey and never screw up. That's not the sense of what he's saying. In fact, in the Greek, the mood is not the imperative mood. The imperative mood is what is used whenever you're giving a command, do this, don't do that. But it's not in the imperative. The word if could also be translated when, and the word keep, it's in the simple future tense. It could also be translated you will be keeping. So it could read, when you love me, you will be keeping my commands, or vice versa. When you're keeping my commands, it, it is then that you're loving me. So rather than this uh, air of, of suspicion, well, if you really loved me, rather than contempt or a finger wagging, the sense is really just a statement, a matter of fact. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. As if he's saying, what goes up must come down. If you jump in water, you'll get wet. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. The early Christians loved to talk about the two ways. So there are two basic paths in life. There's the way that leads to life, and there's the way that leads to death, and there's a very great difference between these two ways. But one way or the other, you're on one or you're on the other. It's that simple. So in this construct, in this framework, obedience is not about perfection, it's about direction. Which way are you going? Towards obedience or not? So to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it doesn't mean be perfect and never screw up. It means be totally oriented towards His commands. Seek to obey them. Make that your life goal. Orient everything in your life around this goal, and you will be succeeding. Yes, you'll make mistakes along the way. Of course, you'll still sin when you do confess, get up again, and keep going in the same way. And by the way, you're not alone. So three times in our text, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And each time, it's followed by a promise of His presence. He knows we can't do this on our own. He says, I'm with you. So back to verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And now listen for the promise of His presence. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now go to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. So now it's Jesus himself saying, I will show up in your life. I will come to you and show you myself. And in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we, so the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. So every time Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey, it's followed by this promise of his presence. And what we hear in all of this, we cannot escape the astonishing truth. Jesus clearly loves his disciples, and he eagerly desires their love in return. And the language of this love is obedience. Now, this is not the first time in the Scriptures that love for God is tied to obedience. In fact, it's, it's one of the predominant themes throughout the entire Bible. We see it especially poignant in, in a scene earlier in Israel's history that is not unlike the scene in the upper room at the Last Supper. So it's Moses who's led the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. It's right before he's going to die. He's on Mount Nebo with 
all of the Israelites, and the whole book of Deuteronomy is sort of his upper room discourse, his last words to the people. He's reiterating, here are all the commands. And along the way, he's saying, obey, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But the theme throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy is, here are the commands. To love God is to obey these commands. And if you do it, you shall live. Especially then in chapters 28, 29, and 30, he lays out very starkly this contrast. He says, here now are the blessings for obedience. And then he lists specific blessings, blessings in the fields, blessings in your family, blessings in your work, blessings among the nations. You'll be the head, you won't be the tail. Very specific. But then he says, and here are the curses for disobedience. If you turn away from the Lord your God, your life will fall apart. Your national life will fall apart. And of course, we could say your individual life will fall apart. And he lists out very specifically, this is what will happen. Blessings if you obey, curses if you go your own way and turn away. And so at the conclusion of this sermon that he gives, Moses says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. It's the two ways. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So do you hear in that the tie between love for God and obedience? Do you hear also, though, that not only is obedience God's love language, but when we obey, it is always worth it in the end. It is always for our good in the end. But now, uh, that was Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read to you a verse that comes right before that. Moses says, now these commandments that I give to you today, this commandment is not too hard for you, nor is it far off. We read this verse, and it's actually a painful verse to read. It's, it's like a, a splinter that gets under your thumbnail. This verse is a splinter verse, because what it actually highlights for us is the pain and the reality that while, yes, it's true, you go through the law of Moses, there's nothing in there that is humanly impossible. All of those commands are humanly possible. He's not saying, go up to the moon and back. But even though these commands are all humanly possible, the reality is that Israel on the whole did not follow them. And no individual, even those who did seek after God, no individual in the history of Israel was able to do that perfectly. And so Daniel picks this up. Daniel, who's a prophet, kind of on the other side of the story after Israel's been punished for centuries of disobedience. And Daniel, in a beautiful confession in chapter 9, says, we have sinned, we have gone away from the Lord. And he ties it back to this passage. He says, and the Lord has brought on us all the curses that are listed in the law of Moses. But we have brought this upon ourselves. No one was able to be faithful. No one until Jesus. 
See, for Jesus, in His incarnation, obedience was His love language too. Not only does He receive love when we obey His commands, but it was also how He showed love to His Father while He was on His earthly mission. And so He says, look in verse 31 back in John 14, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that what? I love the Father. It was His whole purpose to do what the Father had sent Him to do, to speak the words the Father had given Him to speak, to obey the Father. That was His joy. That was His delight. It was how He showed love to His Father. And Jesus did it perfectly. But where we couldn't perfectly obey, He did. And now He shares the reward of His perfect obedience with us, even though we did nothing to earn it. The blessings that were prophesied and and promised in the law, He has now received in Himself, and He said, but I will share these with those who believe in Me. The Apostle Paul sums this up really beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear all the language of with Christ, with Christ? because we are with Him, then even though this this life is not ours, this resurrection is not ours, this ascension is not ours, because we are with Him by His free gift, it becomes ours. As Jesus Himself said, because I live, you also will live. My victory is your victory because I freely give it to you. I share it with you. And this is why I said earlier, now the pressure's off. We, we don't have to be perfect. The goal in obedience is not perfection, but direction. Which way are you oriented? Are you oriented towards obedience or not? And if you are, have great hope. Even when you fall and you stumble, you're headed in the right direction, and, and nothing can take you off that course. If your life is not oriented towards obedience, And if we take our cues from Deuteronomy, maybe a good clue, if your life is falling apart, it may be because you are not living oriented towards obedience. And the Lord is saying to you, repent. It will go well with you in the end. So God does not expect perfection from us. That doesn't mean, though, that obedience is easy. I was uh, helping out with Res Kids a, a while back and chatting with one of the children there, just a young girl, six or seven, and we were actually talking about obedience, and she said, you know, I think we have to disobey Satan. I said, oh, well, yes, yes, I, I also agree. But her reason was, was kind of funny. She said, because we have to have somebody we can disobey. <laughs> And I knew in that moment, okay, her parents are doing something right. 
They're training her in obedience. Clearly, obedience is a theme that she has heard often before. But then it's just interesting to me that there's something in human nature that's like, I got to get it out of my system. I got to disobey somebody. So like the Israelites, we're still prone to disobedience because that sinful nature is not yet fully sanctified out of us. It tugs at us in the opposite direction. We do not want to conform our will, our will to another's will. There's pride and there's stubbornness. There are worldly pleasures like greed and lust which draw us away from the life of obedience. That sinful nature still is tugging. And there's another reason that we, we resist the life of obedience, and, and this one is more, it's, it's more neutral. It's, it's not necessarily sinful. There's something good in it. It's that we rightly see oh, there's a cost to obedience. And sometimes we rightly see that I, if I do this, if I listen to God's voice, if I do what He says in His Word, or, or if I pay attention, I think He's telling me to do something. If I follow through with it, there's going to be a cost, social cost, relational cost, employment, cost of humiliation if I obey and confess. So we see the cost we're afraid. So then where do we begin? If you want to live a life of obedience, if you want to give love to God and you're saying, okay, where do I start? What's square one? What is the first obedience? The obedience to begin all other obediences. Here it is. It is to trust Him. Did you know that that's a command? The Lord says, trust in me. It's the first thing. We say, well, I thought love was the most important thing. Well, love is the most important thing, but love is the finished product. When we start with trust, it leads us to love, but it begins with, oh, Lord, I, I trust that you are good. I trust that your commands are good. I trust that if I obey you, whatever the cost might be, it will go well with me in the end. It is interesting to note that in John's gospel, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, th there's no moral teaching. There's no moral code that John records. There's no Sermon on the Mount. There's no Beatitudes. There's very little do this, don't do that in the gospel of John. That's even true in the epistles of John, his letters, as compared to the letters of Paul and James and Peter, which are filled with fruit of the Spirit. Or a list of vices. Do this, don't do that. Very concrete, very specific. In John's gospel and in his letters, there's almost none of that. And if we listen to John's voice, if we kind of step back, what we see then, well, what then are the commands that Jesus is talking about? Because he keeps saying over and over, if you listen to my words, if you obey my commands, what is he talking about then? If there's no moral code that the apostle John gives to us, well, if we step back, Two commands become dominant. Two commands come forward. We see them throughout the gospel of John and through his letters. And it's first we see that we're called to love one another. He's really clear. If you want to know how to love God, you actually do it by loving one another. 
But there's another command that's there, it's present, it comes out, and it's actually chronologically, it's first. John in his gospel begins with this one. The theme is really strong. It is believe. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Believe in me, Jesus says over and over. Trust in me. The word believe can also be translated trust. So what's the beginning? What's the start? It is to trust in the Lord. And this makes sense because the reason that that I don't obey is that there's somewhere in the back of my heart or my mind a doubt that it will be good for me. I hesitate. But when that doubt turns to trust, I say, Lord, I I trust you'll take care of me. I trust that if I obey whatever the cost, it will go well with me in the end. I, I trust whatever you say, I trust that I will do it. When we begin with trust, everything else follows. So the Lord is saying to you this morning, you want to know how to love me? Obey. Obey first. Let the chips fall where they may. Your job is obey. But what does it take to walk in that kind of obedience? Trust in me. Let's pray. Lord, would you create in our hearts the desire to love you? Would you open our eyes to see that your commands are good, to see far enough beyond the cost and the hardship, to see to the reward and to be unashamed to desire the reward. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and lead us into a life of obedience. Make us as individuals and make us as a church the kind of people who are eager, ready, and willing. Whatever you say, Lord, Whatever is in your word, I will obey. Whatever you're speaking to me as I go throughout my day, I will follow through. And Lord, may we see in our day and in the days to come stories and testimonies of what happens when we obey you. So speak to us, Lord. Open our ears to hear. And may we see what happens when we do. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We make them through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.